0: Guys, thank you, Pastor Ross. All right, well, good evening to you all. First, I want to actually thank the Lord, one, for what He has done personally in my life, uh, bringing me from darkness and into His light, uh, saving, bringing me about my salvation, and uh, reconciling not only myself to Him but also restoring my marriage and my family. So, I'd like to thank Pastor Ross for considering me and giving me this opportunity to share God's word with you all tonight. And I want to thank actually all of you guys for all your love and support that you've shown me and shown my uh, my family. So I just want to thank you all for that. Um, and before we begin, we're going to go ahead and open up with a word of prayer. Father God, we come to you now, Lord, and we just want to lift up our souls to you, Lord, and We just ask, Lord, that you would speak to us, speak to our hearts, Lord, fill us up with your spirit, Lord, your spirit and understanding, Lord, your good spirit, Lord. Uh, We thank you again for this fellowship, Lord, and for this church, Lord, and uh, the foundation of faith that you keep building upon every day of our lives, Lord. We thank you most of all for the greatest gift of all, for your son who came down to die for us, Lord, And as we uh, read your word tonight, may we leave encouraged, Lord, and uh, may we continue to lift up your name and and praise your name and give you all the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen. amen. So tonight we're going to be looking at Psalm 143, Psalms 143. And I'm going to go ahead and read the entire passage, verses 1 through 12, but then we're going to break it up. So starting with verse 1, Lord, hear my prayer. Listen to my cry for mercy. In your faithfulness and righteousness, come to my relief. Do not bring your servant into judgment, for no one living is righteous before you. The enemy pursues me. He crushes me to the ground. He makes me dwell in dark places like those long dead. So my spirit grows faint within me. My heart within me is dismayed. I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your works and consider what your hands have done. I spread out my hands to you. I thirst for you like a parched land. Answer me quickly, Lord, my spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me or I will be like those who go down to the pit. Let the morning bring me your word of unfailing love for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for to you I entrust my life. Rescue me from my enemies, Lord, for I hide myself in you. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring me out of trouble. In your unfailing love, silence my enemies. Destroy all my foes, for I am your servant. So the psalm here that we're looking at tonight, David is crying out for the Lord to be rescued. When I read Psalm 143, it reminds me of uh, a memory that I have that sticks out uh, when I was a child, okay? When I was about five years old, um, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with Discovery Kingdom. Um, It used to be called Marine World back in the day where there was actually a lot more animals than there were rides. I was about five years old and I was so anxious and excited to 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 be there, you know, to go and look at the animals. As soon as we get through the gate, it was on a busy weekend, right? And my family and I, we we go through the gates and the first thing I remember was looking to my right and seeing the big dolphin tank. So here I am, this five-year-old little kid walking through with my family amongst a, a big crowd of people. As I stared off at the dolphin tank, um, my my family kept walking forward. Um, I soon, I, I found myself actually lost. I, I quickly turned back where my family was and they were gone. So I, I quickly panicked. I, uh, not only did I panic, um, I, I did uh, what, what most five-year-olds would do. I actually just started crying. I, I had a, a death curdling cry so bad that I, I was hoping that the louder I got, the, the Someone, whoever, my family member that brought me there would hear me amongst the sea of people. But not only that, actually, it, it was even funnier than that because I don't know if you guys have seen uh, when kids cry so bad because they're so distraught in their heart that they actually want to run away, but they don't know where to go, so they run in place that was pretty much me at, at Marine World, just running in place, screaming, hoping for someone to find me. Eventually, a, a staff member actually came out and uh, found me there. Uh, took me to the, the, the counter where I guess lost and found was at. But they had this little, <laughs> this, this little open window and they stuck me on a bar stool. So my face is sitting there to the public with just tears running down my face. So it was one of those moments where I was, I was really, ups- I, was, I was sad. I was, I was upset, not thinking I was ever going to see my parents again. Um, but I remember one thing. There was a guy who actually showed up there, um, and he saw me sad and upset, you know, and he, he knew that I was lost, so he was trying to make small talk But me, you know, five-year-old kid, you're shy, you're already, you know, you're not my parent, I'm not going to respond to you. Um... <laughs> But he, what he did was he actually gave me my quarter. What stood out to me was he, he took a quarter, he stuck it on the counter, and slid it to me. You know, as a, as a five-year-old kid, of course, that's like, you can buy, like, three Jolly Ranchers. <laughs> so I, I was so glad to actually get that. My hope, there was a little small glint of hope. But then once my mom actually came, she once I saw her face come to the counter, see me, and just telling me, you know, where have you been, you know, I got to go in her arms. And, you know, it was, I was restored to my family. So as we read uh, Psalm 143 tonight, um, I know that it's the, the circumstances, the whole situation is different, okay? Me, I was just a lost kid at a theme park. But in this case, David was running for his life. This Psalm could be divided up into three points. We'll look at verses one through four, which is David's appeal, uh, David's attitude, verses five and six, and then David's heartfelt desire, verses seven through 12. This is a psalm for hope for a troubled heart. David was in another crisis. We're not sure exactly what danger he was facing at the specific time, whether it was pre-King David or post-King or during his kingly reign. But we know one thing for certain, that he felt stuck, he felt desperate, and he was at the end of himself. He knew that he himself could not produce the results that that were needed, so he had to reach beyond himself. This is a prayer to a real God who can deliver real results. Majority of the scholars would say that the timeline would actually match up with the time of the Absalom rebellion. For those of you who don't know who Absalom is, Absalom is David's son. David's son that was uh, actually, he was handsome, full of beauty as they would define him as he was full of himself he was very self-centered and vain Absalom began to undermine David's rule he set up himself as judge and gave out promises that he would that what he would do if he were king so Absalom started to lure people away from king David in 2 Samuel 15:5 through 6 it reads Also, whenever anyone approached him, who was Absalom, to bow down before him, Absalom would reach out his hand, take hold of him, and kiss him. Absalom behaved in this way toward all the Israelites who came to the king asking for justice, and so he stole the hearts of all the people of Israel. Absalom wanted all the praise, he wanted all the honor, and he wanted all the glory. He was so self-absorbed, prideful, And again, as I mentioned before, full of beauty. Deep down, he wanted to overrule and take and kill his father. This sounds like somebody we know when you look through the book of Ezekiel, chapter 28, verse 12. The devil himself. His treacherous plot against his dad began to pick up momentum, such that David began to fear for his own life. So David gathered all his servants and fled Jerusalem. And the idea of fleeing here is not just, okay, I got bad news, I'm just gonna go simply pack up what I want and just take my time, moseying on out of here. No, this is uh, more of take whatever you can and run, okay? I think most of us here have experienced the 2017 fires. What was going through your mind during that time when you guys first got the news? Get what you can and leave. You weren't taking all, all your clothes, you were taking all the necessities. You know, maybe some heirlooms, maybe some, some keepsakes, and that was it. Here, he just takes whatever and leaves. At this point, there was nowhere else to go but to God. So let's take a look at David's prayer, where he begins here in verses 1 through 4. And it says, Lord, hear my prayers. Listen to my cry for mercy. In your faithfulness and righteousness, come to my relief. Do not bring your servant into judgment, for no one living is righteous before you. The enemy pursues me, he crushes me to the ground, he makes me dwell in in the darkness like those long dead. So my spirit grows faint within me, my heart within me is dismayed. Verses one, we'll look at verses one and two. So, verse one actually shows his appeal to God, but in verse two, we're gonna see the reason why. So David, at this point, he's probably reminiscing back when Nathan, the prophet Nathan, had called him out in chapter 12 of Samuel, where Nathan had given him a warning. He said to David, the sword will never depart from your house. Out of your own household, I am going to bring calamity on you. This was a result of David's sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. See, but the only way for sinners to approach a holy and just God is to come to him humbly. When we come to him humbly through prayer, it reveals our dependence on God. We acknowledge, one, his highness and our lowness, two, his strength and our weakness, three, his all-powerful ability and our human inability, and four, his holiness and our sinfulness. We should never hesitate to call out to God when we're in trouble, but sometimes we delay. Sometimes we rely on ourselves too much or we may have a lack of faith in God or sometimes just our prideful hearts just get in the way. But here, David isn't appealing to his own righteousness as we see in verse two. David's actually appealing to his faithfulness and his righteousness. Why is he doing that? Why is he reaching out to God? Well, one, God, he's a faithful God. He is faithful to his promise. He's faithful to David he is faithful to never leave us or forsake us. And Romans 8:28 Paul says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. David was definitely a guy after God's own heart, and God was going to do a work. He was going to work something out for David. Let's just say that. You know, when I was uh along before I was saved, pre-Christian Jerome, um, there was a time where, you know, I, I didn't know God, the God of the Bible. I, I never really understood um, who the real Jesus was and how holy God was. Um, there was a certain incident where, uh, you know, I go to an intersection, you know, and there's a guy crossing the crosswalk, but he's in a wheelchair, but he's, he's taking so long going through. He wasn't, I don't even think he was actually using his hands, he was using one leg trying to cross the crosswalk. Uh, um, crosswalk so I made it a point I pulled over ran over there in the middle of traffic stopped traffic I met the, the wheelchair guy in the middle of the intersection and I kind of made it a point to stop the, the traffic from coming to wheel him across but what I was doing wasn't necessarily for for God at the time I was only doing it for my own self glory to kind of stub my nose to those who didn't respond quickly enough to help this, this poor man out. You see, I figured God was going to like me for what I did, so I thought. See, if I took all the long lists, if we took any of our a long list of good deeds and put them side by side to perfection, we fail in comparison. Apart from Christ, my long list of good deeds are just a mere extension of my selfishness. See, David knows and acknowledges his standing before God. He knows that no one is righteous, including himself. He's basically saying, Lord, I know I messed up, but I really need your help right now. So when we look at verses three here, it says the enemy pursues me. He crushes me to the ground. He makes me dwell in the dark darkness like those long dead. So my spirit grows faint with me. My spirit within me is dismayed. One thing we notice uh, about David is that he was being persecuted or being pursued by his enemy. That was bringing upon much affliction to the inward being of David. Verse 3 shows that he persecuted or pursued his soul. Verse 4 shows that he is overwhelmed, that his heart is dismayed. David was in so much despair. He had heartache and he needed to be rescued once again. He was broken, lonely, and afraid. His soul was in turmoil. Here, his own child turned against him, the one he raised, nurtured, and loved. 2 Samuel 18, verse 5 says The king commanded Joab, Abishai, and tie to be gentle with the young man for uh, Absalom's sake. And all the troops heard King David giving orders concerning Absalom to each of the commanders. Here he was in a dilemma. Here's his own son wanting to go after him and go after his kingdom. He couldn't fight back. Just imagine that your own child, the one you cared for and loved for you, is now out to get you. Maybe some of us can relate to that. Maybe sometimes the enemy comes into your own home and is in your own family. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 36, Jesus says a man's enemies will be the members of his own household. This crisis was caused by sorrowful loathing. David may be saying to himself, I'm a terrible father. Where did I go wrong? But we all know what was really going on. The devil's probably getting the best of him. And to be honest with you, that happens to my life. My life's not perfect. Happens to me all the time. There's an interesting, I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with uh, Paul Washer, a great preacher, gospel preacher. Um, There was one time I was listening to him on a, on some video and he was being interviewed and uh, he was saying, you know, he was talking to his wife and telling her, you know, these guys aren't going to like me. They're going to hate me. I I, I can't do this. I'm not going to do this. And his wife actually had to give give the courage to tell him, you know what? They're supposed to hate you. (laughs) That's what the enemy does. Enemy's going to tell you all kinds of things. I can't tell you how many times my wife had to (laughs) smack me upside my head to straighten my my, uh, I get so caught up in myself and in my thoughts. I can't allow that enemy to do it. But she's a good help. So when we look here in dwelling in darkness, we know that the ones that are in darkness are those who are dead, but the ones who are alive are the ones who walk in light. There's a quote by Charles Spurgeon. He says, if David could only feel the presence of God, he would no longer be overwhelmed or dwell in darkness. Everything would turn to peace and joy. (laughs) There's another uh, famous quote that I heard from someone. It says, "Uh, you don't need to dwell in the darkness when you have the light of the world. That was from uh, Dr. Ross Ryman. (laughs) You see, but the darkness and light, the contrast, we know that that's a biblical metaphor, right? So what I like to picture it as, as a candlelit room, okay? You have a room that's dark that has a candlelit in the middle. The more further away you move from that light, the darker it gets. The darker it gets, the harder it is to see the light. We may know people who are going further in the dark. And the, the, the most interesting thing to me is the very thing they, they tend to neglect. People that move to the dark tend to neglect the very thing that can give them life. It's, a, it's just like there's a, just imagine a sinking ship, right? Uh, ships already going down, but then you have these lifeboats. But everybody's out in the water swimming away from the lifeboats. What happens? People start to go further and further away. Sometimes they, you know, stop reading their Bibles. They stop coming to church, they don't fellowship, they don't worship, they stop praying. Those are the dangers that the enemy can have on someone's mind and soul and heart. The inward attack from the enemy can only cause David to run towards God and not away from God. See, his soul was in a dark place, but he didn't stay there. He knew exactly where to go. This was an emotional tidal wave, again, coming at David all at once. See, our emotions are very powerful. They can either keep us in, in bondage to depression, turmoil, or discouragement. Not only can it affect you mentally, but it can affect you spiritually and physically. We can't live our lives based on our emotions. It's a never ending roller coaster ride of ups and downs. Our emotions are all over the place. We need to walk as children of light, as David did. And as we move on, we can move on to verses five and six, we'll see how David deals with being overwhelmed, which brings us to our second point, which is gonna be David's attitude. Verse five says, I remember the days of long ago. I meditate on all your works and consider what your hands have done. I spread out my hands to you and I thirst for you like a parched land. Now David has an attitude adjustment. Instead of being in despair, David begins to remember. Meditate and consider the works of the Lord. There is only one remedy for hopelessness, and that is to reflect on the awesome power of God from the past, present, and future. For David could have been thinking about the instance of his youth as he reflects, as he remembers the days of long ago. He could think about the times maybe as a shepherd boy, how God had protected him or, or delivered him from lions and bears. He could have been thinking about the time when he defeated Goliath. Or when God protected him from King Saul. See, in the moment, David is remembering the past to deal with what he's currently facing. God's power says that there is nothing too difficult that God can't handle. When walking with my wife, sometimes uh, it's amazing. I, I you know, with, with the the pregnancy, you know, and the health condition, we go on walks. You know, sometimes in the evenings, but as we do it, you know, we, we kind of talk and we, we talk about the past. We'll look at a, a, a nice house and we'll, we'll start talking about it. But then we kind of stare off and we'll look at, you know, the flowers and the bees landing on them. We'll start looking at the, the mountains, the trees, and we start to look at creation. You know, the beauty in it, the beauty in creation that God had made. But then the last thing is when I turn to my wife, I get to see her. The most beautiful woman in the world, by the way. (laughs) When I get a not so good memory of my past, I tend to always remember on what God has delivered me from. You know, I I went from living a life of a wannabe thug, wanting to do my own thing, make a name for myself, to a, a loving father and husband. See, but the enemy can... Try and try and come at us, but it's, it's so easy to be distracted by things that are going on in the world that we lose sight of how awesome our God really is. We forget what he has done and what he continues to do in our lives. The word consider here is actually a word to actually express not a thought, but more of a verbal thing. Like he's actually talking to oneself. He's talking to himself. David literally was talking to himself about God. He would figure, you would figure someone talking to themselves would be considered insane. But actually, someone who talks to themselves is actually probably a good sign that they are sane. David's probably saying over and over and over in his mind or out loud saying, God's got this. He's got this. See, back in also, uh, when you look at Samuel, 1 Samuel, I believe it's chapter 7, the Lord delivered Israel from the Philistines with a loud thunder. You guys heard of the Ebenezer stone? Yeah. Samuel had placed a stone, okay, which is basically means the stone of help. He placed the stone and propped it up. So every time uh, when they were delivered, so at the time, God had made a loud thunder, caused the Philistines to go in confusion. They ended up losing the battle. Samuel props up the stone. Every time they would walk by that, they would know there was something tangible there that they could look at and meditate on and, and, and ponder as God had delivered them from that battle. It's, it's, um, they would have reminded themselves of God's power and his protection. See, you and I have these same types of stones in our lives. It could be a past memory, a movie, a book. Even What I do, look out in creation. Whatever it is, in Israel's case, it was a rock. It was a stone. Whatever it is, as long as it gets your mind on him and not your current situation. Charles Spurgeon again said, uh, memory, meditation, and marveling are here set together as the three graces, ministering grace to a mind depressed and likely to be diseased. As David with his heart played away the evil spirit from Saul, so does he here chase away the gloom of his own soul by holy communion with God. When we look here at verse six, he says, yeah, I spread out my hands to you. Uh, Last Friday, I believe, no, Saturday, I went to a birthday party and I had my kids with me, I had my my five-year-old. With my five-year-old, you know, she's, you know, she's, she's, she's small, right? Uh, but there was a big dog there. And my kids, whenever you, well, even if, when I was a kid and I had a dog bigger than me, I would be scared. But she, they, she don't like dogs. So when the dog started barking, she ran from wherever she was, far away, came running with her arms stretched out to me. So my parental instincts kicked in, pick her up and guard her. Guard her from this dog. So that's how I like to see uh, David running to the Lord with his hands stretched out for protection and for for just help and security. So he says that my soul longs for you as a parched land. David is longing for the Lord. He wants the Lord so bad that he is thirsting for God Himself. David not only extended his hands to God, but also his heart. We read in Psalm 63, where it says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being belongs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water. I picked this up from John Piper's ministry, Desiring God. And it talks about thirst. It says, how much do you think about water when you're not thirsty? (laughs) Not much, probably, unless you're a health nut. (laughs) But how much do you think of water when you're thirsty? A lot. It's near the forefront of your mind. The thirstier you feel, the more water dominates your thoughts. You begin to notice everything. That the water, the, water, the water has connotations. Cups, fountains, rain, pictures of water. The greater the thirst, the more earnest the, the search. Water is really only experienced as satisfying when our real need for it makes us really want it. Likewise, God is only experienced as satisfying when our real need for him makes us really want him. I don't know about you guys, but I've tried drinking just a regular soda, just a can of soda. It is not satisfying. It actually makes me more thirsty for water. It's sweet for maybe about two minutes. It's probably pretty tasting and nice. But when it, it's just going to make you thirsty and thirsty. David, David is so desolate like a dry land just waiting to be replenished by the living water of God. We need to maintain a spiritual thirst for God. So we'll finish finishing up here on our last point. David's heartfelt desire, his desire to be rescued. We'll look at verses seven through nine. And it says, answer me quickly, Lord. My spirit fails. Do not hide your face from me or I will be like those who go down to the pit. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love for I have put my trust in you show me the way i should go for to you i entrust my life rescue me from my enemies lord for i hide my fa- myself in you see so verse 7 here answer me quickly what is what is david doing he's he's trying to reach out he just wants god to respond so quickly but god's time table is a lot different than ours at times he's going to respond quickly Other times it may may be a little bit longer. Either way, you're going to get a response, okay? God always delivers. He's never late. He mentions here, do not hide your face from me or I will be like those who go down to the pit. There's a point here that David is doing. David is actually, David fears that God won't pay attention to him. So he's asking him not to hide his face. But what does fear do to us? Fear distorts the proper perspective of God. Sometimes we can become very, very irrational. I think we've seen that for the last two years. See, fear without faith deceives us, as we see with the disciples. In Mark chapter 4, verses 38 through 39, Jesus was in the stern. This is when they were in the middle of the sea, the boat, and this big storm was coming about. Jesus says, uh, Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. Again, fear over faith. Verse eight says, let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love for I have put my trust in you. Show me the way I should go, for to you I entrust my life. David starts to correct himself on his previous thought, knowing that God will turn his face, that he will not turn his face away. He is more optimistic, as we all should be. He trusts that the Lord will get him through all of this mess. He cries at night, only to bring the hope of God's divine love in the morning. He's asking him, show me the way I should go for I entrust my life. For you, I entrust my life. Not knowing where to go, again, David wanted to know the next steps he should take in his life, but he wanted God to show him which way to go. And most of the times we see it, um, you know, David here is not asking him to bail him out so that he could just go right back into the darkness again. No, no, no. He's, he's, He's... He doesn't want to go back. Again, like the, the, the great Dr. Ross Ryman said, why go back to the darkness when you have the light of the world? David trusted the Lord to give him direction and guidance. We can't, we can't just come to him only when we're in a crisis and then the rest of the week or the rest of the time we're on earth just to kind of push him aside. We don't want no part of him. Those are what we call crisis Christians. They don't want to come to him for for praise or or for just other things to to learn from. They just, only when they're in a crisis, they just need to be bailed out. When our hearts are low, we need to entrust our lives to him. Verse 9 says, Rescue me from my enemies, Lord, for I hide myself in you. David, at this point, is now confident that God will rescue him. He's asking God to rescue him as a child to be saved by a father very similar to the story that I told you with my daughter. He's running towards God for protection from danger. To run to God for safety and security is not an act of cowardice, but it is an act of wisdom and courage. Moving on from this to verses 10 through 12, it says, teach me to do your will, for you are my God. May your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, Lord, preserve my life in your righteousness. Bring me out of trouble. In your unfailing love, silence my enemies. Destroy all my foes, for I am your servant. His heart and his desire is to be taught by the will of God. No longer David seeks his own will. How easy is it to follow your own will? It's not easy to always do God's will. You have to be taught it. That's why he says, Teach me to do your will. You have to practice it. That's why, yeah, that's why he's asking. It is, will, it is a willful act on our part to serve others, to consider others greater than ourselves, to show kindness, to show patience, grace, mercy, even when you really don't want to. There's another quote from James Boyce. He actually says, uh, we want God to give us pointers as long as, we want, uh, as long as we have the final words as to whether we will take God's advice, but we don't ask for the ability to follow his commands. And then as we move on to verse 11 here, it says, for your name's sake, Lord, preserve my life in your righteousness, bring me out of trouble. Lord, help me because I belong to you is what he's saying. You are my authority. You direct my every step. Bring me out of trouble. Verse 12 actually is uh, in your unfailing love. Silence my enemies. Destroy all my foes for I am your servant. This last request from David is more, more of a messianic than it is for the New Testament believer. Destroy all my foes. So from the New Testament perspective, Okay, this is something we 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 don't really like to to be praying about. You know, we don't want to pray death upon our enemies. We want to pray about their salvation. It says, um, we, "Well, we are not to imitate actually David's Old Testament view." Again, when we get when someone cuts us in a grocery line, you know, we're not to ask God to wipe them away off the face of the earth. <laughs> it's just that's that's our natural. Will, you know, we hate it when people do that to us. We feel personally wronged, you know. So in Luke chapter 6, verse 28, Jesus says, bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. And then Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 19 through 21, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, he will heap up burning coals on his head. Do not be over, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We are to be praying for people's salvation, as I mentioned before, praying that people will come to be brought to life and not death. The understanding Jesus is teaching in the New Testament, it always supersedes David. He is the greater David. He is the greater King. What I would like to end here is that when our souls and hearts are troubled, don't lose hope. In the beginning of the psalm, we see that David's troubled soul was starting to lose hope. When the enemy crushes your life to the ground, don't lose hope. Remember what God has done for you and what He continues to do for you as He intercedes on your behalf. He will continue to rescue you because He is a loving Father. He is faithful to His children. So let us reach out to Him and entrust our lives with Him. When we seek refuge in Him, let His good spirit lead us to safety. We have hope in Him because He is the anchor of our soul that is firm and secure. And it is because we are His servants. Because we are his servants, when our hearts are troubled, we can humbly approach the Most High God through prayer. And I'd like to end it right there. Father God, we are just so, so grateful, Lord, that we can come to you, Lord, in our time of need or trouble, Lord, or even just to give you thanks and praise to your holy name, Lord, for you are almighty creator and sustainer of all things, Lord. And we know when we come to you and ask, Lord, you will deliver. And Lord, we thank you again for this time, Lord. And we pray for every person here and every family that leads outside this church, Lord. And uh, may they leave filled, Lord, with your Holy Spirit and continue to lead and guide us into conforming us into the image of your son. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California, If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.